Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing app businesses. We sit down with the entrepreneurs, investors, and builders behind the most successful apps in the world to learn from their successes and failures. Subclub is brought to you by RevenueCat. Thousands of the world's best apps trust RevenueCat to power in-app purchases, manage customers, and grow revenue across iOS, Android, and the web. You can learn more at revenuecat.com. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Barnard, and my guest today is Adam Landis, founder and CEO of AdLibertus, a data platform for mobile apps. Apps like Crossy Road, Temple Run, and AudioMac use AdLibertus to collect app data from sources like Firebase, RevenueCat, MMPs, and ad networks, then analyze and influence user behavior. On the podcast, I talk with Adam about when and why to use an MMP, which subscription events to track in your analytics, and why A-B testing doesn't always work the way you think it works. Hey, Adam, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's great to be here. So I wanted to kick things off with your background in mobile apps, because you've been around for a long time. We've had this conversation before, uh, but let's have it live here on the podcast. Tell me where you got started uh, in apps and then what led you to build AdLibertas. Yeah, it was OG when it comes to apps. Um, I was in enterprise software and uh, a buddy of mine started a company, which was a turned out to be an early SSP, like an early version of, of Mopub. It wasn't Mopub, it was a precursor. And um, he invited me in for lunch one day and he, he showed me kind of the, the whiteboard and how Google and Apple were fighting over ads and they sat in the middle and I was like, where do I sign? I want to be involved. So that was, <laughs> nice. I think, 2010, 2011. Yeah. That was like App Store was, was months old at that point. So that's kind of where I got started, been around ever since. Yeah. And so then when did you transition from there into deciding to found your own company in the space? That's a good question. Adlibertas is uh, seven years old this month, actually. And um, I've been in the ad business for the entire time. And the um, the reason I got that started Adlibertas was because I realized there wasn't a lot of companies out there that were, were building specifically for the mobile apps. They were building for the advertisers, especially on the ad side. They were building for the advertisers and focusing on you know making margin between. But there weren't a lot of people trying to help the app developers make more money with ads. And so we started doing that. And um, after a while, as advertising started to mature as an industry, we realized there was less and less kind of need for this publisher-specific product. And so we sat down and we said, okay, what are customers struggling with? What are our, our app customers struggling with? And one of my good friends and long, long time customers was having a conversation that just kind of like clicked with me. He said, well, I really think that our users really like this aspect of our app. And so I think that if I change this, they'll use it more often. And then a month later, I asked him, he's like, yeah, I think it worked. And so he's, he thinks this, yeah. he thinks he changes this and he thinks it worked. He's like, he, he, these people are guessing and then guessing and guessing. And it's like, there's no way to run a business mm. by guessing and without able to check. So how do how can we fix that? And really what it was, was how do you make sense of all this data that's coming out of the app? Right. How do you understand what, what users are doing 
and what is the impact? And then like, what is the outcome of the changes you make? Yeah. And then, so then what is Adley Bertis today? Give me the, the 90 second pitch. Yeah. So we, we sat down to solve that problem and then we built what essentially is this central repository for all the data that's spun off by your apps, your analytics, your marketing, your sales, your MMP, your product marketing, um, your ad impressions. And when we put all this together and we're getting kind of signals of like, hey, what are users doing? What is What happens if they finish 10 levels and what does that look like on LTV, we started researching the market. What is that? What is that? And we found out there's a defined term for that. And it's, it's called the data platform, which is a centralized repository for where all the data goes. So we call ourselves a data platform for mobile apps. But really what we try to do is help you understand what your users are doing and understand the impact of changes and how to grow your app better. Yeah. And that's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast is that you work with a lot of different apps and you are working with them day in, day out to figure out what's working, what's not, how to measure the results, how to think about these things. So I wanted to kind of start digging into the the progression of data sophistication. And this is something we've talked about on the podcast before, but I feel like you're really uniquely qualified to go down this rabbit hole. So, I mean, we might end up spending the whole time just talking about this progression, but I I just see so many app developers where they haven't even launched the app and they're like, okay, we're going to get our MMP set up. We need AB testing. We need this. They, they instrument their analytics for every possible like user flow before they even launch the app. (laughs) I'm like, you know, you can get a pretty good sense of, of product market fit without like 3,000 data points coming in from every user into your into Firebase or Amplitude, or especially the ones who are like on Amplitude or Mixed Panel where it's super expensive. Uh, and they're just, right. you know, bootstrapping. It's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And so what I wanted to walk through with you, with your kind of unique vantage point, is what's this kind of progression of data sophistication? So let's start with you're a you're a startup or bootstrap or whatever, and and you're preparing for that 1.0 launch. What do you really need to to get to that 1.0 and start getting a sense of product market fit? I'll I'll start by saying I've seen both sides of the coin work. I've seen companies uh, create a hit, like it goes viral. It becomes massive, and then they struggle to kind of figure things out. And then I've seen companies that build the infrastructure, massive amounts of infrastructure first, and 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 build it that way. My my COO has an interesting uh, point of view. He says a mobile app is, or content in general, mobile content is a data problem to be solved. And so that is, it's a data company. It's not a content company. And interesting way of kind of, of, of looking at it. So I've seen both work and both might be successful and both have their downsides. One aspect, like you said, you invest a ton of money, invest a bunch of research, and then your, your app goes out and it falls flat. So it's all wasted. Yeah. The other side of the coin, you get a viral hit and then you're struggling to like, oh, well, why was this a hit? How do I monetize it? How do I capture lightning in a bottle? twice. So they're both, you know, difficult problems. One's better than the other to have. But um, what we've seen is, is when you get product out there and you're struggling to find product market fit, you need to 
iterate, right? You need to iterate to, to, to make the app better. Either make the app better so you increase engagement, monetization, and retention, or iterate on your marketing to get more people in the app. And there's that's the two ways of, of right. growing the app. It's kind of like either more users or make the product better. Yeah. And that's the that's a struggle even beyond the cost is what I see a lot of folks doing is, you know, spending three months getting all this stuff instrumented and dialed in when there's lacking features before they even know what customers are going to want before they, you know, before they even launch. And so it's it's that balance of of engineering time, you know, how much do you focus on the product? And then in those early days, you know, how much of that engineering time ends up being spent on product versus spending it on kind of infrastructure. And so it's interesting to hear you say, you know, that, and, and it probably depends a lot on, on kind of the, the goal and the kind of starting point for an app. So if you're funded and you got, you know, a million dollars in teeth funding, you have a really experienced team, you know what you're doing, then building out that instrumentation and, and you know, you're going to spend 200 K in the first month on ad spend, then they're probably is a better argument to be made that you you start some of that instrumentation, but but from like a, a a data stack perspective, what would you say are kind of the the minimally viable, and then the next steps for what you should be thinking about an uh, MMP, CRM, A/B testing infrastructure, right. product analytics. I mean, you know, it's easy to stack these things and end up, like I said, in three months of development time just to get this stuff instrumented before you even launch and know whether anybody wants your app or not. Right. Well, a mistake I see a lot of people make is is throwing a tool in there without actually having a, a, an understanding of what that will solve. So wh- wherever you are, like it's a small, medium, large, or kind of like if you're just getting started. What what is the goal of what you're trying to measure? So if you're trying to 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 make your product better, what are the tools you need to measure the iteration you have? So the chances that your product goes out and it's perfect or it's viral day one is low. And even if it is, what about it is viral and what is important? So I would say that if your goal is to figure out how to make the product right, you need some type of signal, product analytics, maybe it's the amplitude-free plan, maybe it's just Firebase, understand what the users are doing. Because even if you fail, you're still going to fail or succeed. You're still going to try to figure out what exactly is making it fail or work. And that's going to require you know, product analytics or require some type of insight of what the users are doing, how they're engaging with the app. And then if your goal is to buy users, and even if you're not funded or you want to start spending money, under the faster you can go to understanding the output or the ROI on your campaign, the better you are. So an MMP, like, yeah, you don't want to start with an MMP day one until you start buying traffic. Buying traffic, what is the purpose of an MMP? An MMP really is, well, it started out just understanding the outcome of a campaign. So when you have a campaign, who's clicking on what, who's installing what, now it's morphed into understanding the ROI on your campaigns. And so you don't need an MMP until you start buying traffic. So it depends on the goal of the company and the goal of what you want to actually do. And then you work backwards toward the tool set and the stack that you have. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And and so then what's your thoughts then on, on early days when you're when you're trying to just get people into the app to then learn what is being successful and not, it seems to me, and I've, I've actually seen a lot of people be very successful with this, is that they don't start with an MMP. They just start with a spreadsheet and they just do a yeah. blended ROAS 
And early on, that gets enough people into the app to start iterating on product, finding that kind of product market fit, you know, getting your onboarding dialed in, starting to understand what retention looks like. And so it seems like you would say the product analytics really are the the kind of absolutely like don't miss thing. And then the MMP and measurement of that depends on your goal. Is that like if you need to figure out your ROAS immediately uh, because you you know you have a bunch of dry tender and you need to scale, then doing that is maybe makes more sense. But if you're just getting people in to find that product market fit to understand your users, then maybe a spreadsheet's fine until you really start ramping up with the goal of being able to scale that ad spend. Is that maybe a good summary? Yeah, I don't want to um, tell anyone like this is specifically how to go about doing it because I've seen all kinds of aspects work. Right. But Jake Moore, who's a, a, a constant kind of contributor to your podcast, has this great uh, tweet storm where he has like 100 different tweets. And one of the things he says is a subscription app is just a way to get a paywall in front of users. Like that's, <laughs> that's the end goal of a subscription right. app. And it's an interesting kind of concept of like, well, it doesn't matter, you know, everything after they subscribe because all that matters is, you know, getting them to punch a subscribe button. And of course, I think there's a, there's, he's being ironic to make a point, right. but there's this, today there's this differentiation between products and marketing where products is like all about the users and marketing is all about getting more users into the app. And I've heard marketers say, oh, I don't care about the value of a user. That's product's problem to figure right. out how to get ROI on the user. And I, I think that's a, a mistake. So if you're just getting started, yeah, a blended spreadsheet on ROAS is great. But the minute you start you know, doing app, Apple search ads and you start putting a dollar in and then you start saying, okay, I've got 10 users coming in. I'm LTV of $2 per user. Okay, I'm going to start scaling. Once you run out of scale, okay, well, are the users you're buying part of those $2 users or are those organic? Right. Where should you double down? How should, you know, what keywords work? So as soon as you start making that spreadsheet work, it's going to start growing in sophistication. So it's going to get more and more complicated the more you try to, to grow and the more details you need. So yeah, a spreadsheet's great to start. Right. But the minute you get it working, you're going to have a question about, well, what about this keyword? Or yeah. what about this user? Yeah. So it, it's kind of like, yeah, it's great to start, but it may not be perfect long-term. All right. Well, I, I'm going to come back to that. But before we leave kind of this like minimally viable, like what you should launch with 1.0, you were talking about product analytics kind of being the key for that 1.0 to understand users. And something I see a ton of questions about, and I, you know, I am terrible at this myself with my apps, is what are the, what are the things that are most important to track to start understanding those user behaviors that do lead to the outcomes that you want. Um, because I, what, you know, what I've done in my apps in the past is like, oh, there's, you know, 50 different <laughs> action. And I just start like throwing tags on everything. And then, and, and then the analytics are just a mess and I'm, I'm, I'm not able to find the signal in the noise. So what are the key things you would recommend tracking, especially when you don't have the sophistication early on to do a deeper analysis, to run your own data warehouse, to do super, you know, complex analysis? That's an excellent question because anyone who answers um, this event is, is wrong <laughs> because every, every app is very, very unique. And when it comes to KPIs, 
we originally tried to like, okay, we're going to, we're going to automatically show you the important KPIs. And then we failed objectively at that. Right. And we really leaned into this concept of these crazy KPIs, these, these apps would have like these different apps and different types of, of business models, even if they're like both runner apps or both puzzle apps, they have incredibly different KPIs that are important to their business. Right. So for instance, talking to a dating app and their key KPI, their golden KPI was registrations per install because hmm. they don't care how many installs they have because campaigns go up and campaigns go down. From a product perspective, he wants to make sure that funnel coming through to a registration is the most important thing. And if they don't register, then where are they going? And he needs to track that day over day. Talking to a runner app, they have this level mentality where they want to watch users come into the app and they want to watch how many levels they go through. And if there's a fall off between nine and 10, we need to tweak the sophistication on level eight, make sure they don't fall or nine, make sure they don't fall off at 10. And then the hypercasual apps for them, their LTV gears are crazy. They like, they go two days and then they're flat. So like you have to get maximum ROI out of two days. Right. And so what they're doing is they're looking at the seconds a user spends in the app per app version. So wow. they have this like crazy graph of every app version. They're shipping three times a week of app versions and they're looking at the average seconds in the app of a user. And if it falls off, something went wrong and they have to go back and change it. So that is all to say that different KPIs for different businesses and the, the app who is asking about the important events probably has a much better idea than anyone else can tell them. And they need to sit down and think about, okay, what is my thought process of the important events as it goes? And then can I measure to prove that? So can I actually measure the, the impact between these two events? And if that's the right KPI by you know, measuring it and proving it, then it, I can track it for me. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to think about it. Or is there... You know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you the wrong question, but maybe there is a right answer to it. Are there, are there any key things that you would say every app should track? Uh, like, like, you know, track every screen and button in your onboarding or, mm -hmm. you know, track, uh, you know, one thing we talked about, Jake, you know, one of the things I, I hadn't ever thought to track um, was um, the number of people who tap the call to action button for a subscription and then how many actually complete the subscription. Right. And it's not actually something we track in Revenue Cat. And after Jacob and my eyes to that, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna push to, to get that track. Um, but there's like subtle things like that, that like probably every subscription app should be tracking that. So if somebody taps right. this, you know, start a free trial button and the Apple payment sheet comes up and they hit cancel on there, that's, that's a very important uh, a signal for subscription apps that people are tapping this button, but they're not completing yep. the action and moving that needle is huge. Um, so, so subscription apps specifically, which you, you work with many, are there, what would kind of be your, your, your go-to like, okay, make sure these 10 metrics are tracked and, and in these steps. Yeah. The, the generic answer is anything that's related to your monetization journey. And that can extend beyond subscription apps. But for a subscription app, any path that you think a user is going to take to see the monetization event or to monetize, and then you can kind of work backwards through the funnel to figure out what they actually are doing. So 
a great example of one of our customers that did this, and and bear with me because it's a it's pretty complicated, but it's a, a really good example of how sophisticated you can get from high level view of, of your data. He was trying to drive subscriptions up. Everyone is. And so he's like, okay, where, where are the majority of my subscriptions coming from? And so he found there was a very big fall off between people who viewed this one subscription event, like, so, okay, unlock for, in this case, it was an, uh, an animation app. So it was, uh, import video. So a lot of people were looking at import video, but there's a huge fall off between import video and not. So what he did is he said, okay, well, if I give that to them for free or behind a reward video, uh, will that increase the amount of retention? He's originally looking for just retention and engagement. And so he found out there was this massive increase of engagement because people were getting this item for free that they had to pay for before. And so he said, okay, well, and, and actually the engagement, the, the amount of time that people were using this reward, clicking this reward video and, and getting this item for free, turned the LTV curve. So the, if you look at LTV curve like this, you know, it was a shallower LTV curve, but after two weeks, it actually surpassed it. So mm. they were, the engagement and the reward video had changed the curve to actually increase the value past seven or 14 days, but he wasn't done. He wasn't, he said, okay, well, that's great because now I have, you know, users spending more time making more money from ads. I want to go back and figure out who is the, who are the people subscribing and when are they subscribing or, or towards um, those, those events because they're right. giving it away. You're going you're gonna to lose a big portion of it. So he started dividing up his traffic into um, geos and regions and he has age groups. And he looked at an age group and he said, okay, between uh, 18 and 35, they're 90% of my subscribers for this one feature. And he said, okay, and 90% of those all happen within the first four days. So he just changed his app to say, for that group of users, we're going to delay the reward video offer for four days. <laughs> so he's able to capture 90% of 90% of the actual in-app purchases or subscriptions, and then get the increased engagement by delaying it for four days for the folks who did buy. And then for everyone else, they got it for free right away. So it's a complicated example, but it really wasn't that difficult provided you have kind of an overall view of your monetization journey right. and how you can kind of change that. Now there's this whole other aspect of that, which is requires the remote configuration, the ability to change it. And I think that's an important aspect as well. It's like turning this data that you have, these actions you have, into right, actions, I should say events, turning these events you have into action is difficult. Yep. Data is a tool, but if you're not using the tool, it's completely worthless. Yeah, no, that's great. One, one quick side note, um, we haven't talked a ton about AdLibertis as a data platform, but one of the things y'all do really well and makes it actually a great complement to freemium apps who are also using RevenueCat is that you're actually measuring that ad revenue. And that's a perfect example of, of a blind spot if you're only looking at subscribers, but you're, you're using a freemium strategy, what's going on with those freemium users? And then especially if you're doing any kind of rewarded ads or any form of advertising, your subscription LTV leaves out this very important piece to understand you know, how your free users are contributing 
to the to the monetization. So, uh, can you speak to that just a, a little bit more of like how yeah. how y'all measure that, and then how you think about the kind of that 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 blend? And I think it, I think this is one of those things that is probably going to be more and more important, especially like you know we're kind of in August of of 2022 on the precipice of a recession or not or whatever but you know consumer budgets are tightening people are looking to use things for free and might might tolerate the rewarded ad over having to pay um and so getting that right blend of freemium and subscription is an art and if you have ads measuring those against the subscriptions is so important so how how do you think about that well, I would say that even extending just ads. So we see with ads a lot of people because it's it's complicated, right? So I've wrote an article about this where a subscription app, you have to track one event and it matters one out of a hundred, maybe if you're lucky, one out of 10 times that, that one event. Right. That event is the monetization event. With an ad, you have to track thousands of events because each one of those events is a monetization event. And the amount of people that I see estimating, oh, an ad impression is worth, you know, an average of $10 CPM or $5 CPM. So I'm just going to use that as a, an indicator of success. Well, being in the ad business as much as I have, I know that the, the, the average value has nothing to do with the absolute value. You have right. this huge diminishing curve when it comes to users and where they're located very much changes the value of a user. Um, and even more than, than ads, I see a ton of, of customers who should be using Revenue Cat, who <laughs> estimate subscriptions. Right. Like, oh, you know what? There's a subscription event. They opted in. Good enough. Like, you're, oh, yeah, there's, there's some refunds, sure. And whether they come back, I'm not. I just know the average user comes back 66% of the time. So I'm going to be able to track that, you know, as, as this amount of money. That might work for that spreadsheet mentality that you're talking about. But right. if you want to get sophisticated and you want to start buying users, that's been important is like, you need to start understanding the real value of these users long-term and where these sources you're buying are actually developing or de- returning ROI. Yeah. I do want to get back to this like next step. So, and, and you kind of brought us back around to the, to the MMP at that stage where, okay, the spreadsheet's getting unwieldy. <clears throat> I'm spending, you know, 20, 40, 50 K a month and I'm no longer just buying users to understand product market fit. I'm I'm trying to get that return on investment. Now I'm trying to scale up my ad spend. You know, can I spend a dollar mm-hmm. and get a dollar fifty back in a reasonable time frame? Why get an MMP and then how do you use it? Uh, and and yeah. I see this question a lot from apps who who you know they've they've. Uh, been working with app store search ads, they get to 20, 40, 50K, then they start doing Facebook ads. And now, and that's when the spreadsheet starts breaking. And then what right. ads are being effective, what are not. And so that's where the MMP starts to become essential. So, so yeah, tell me about getting that MMP stack right. I would actually say that way before you're spending 40 or 50K a month, you should be looking at an MMP. And Way before. <laughs> it's funny because I've seen so many successful apps get, get to that spend and beyond. Yes. And I've seen so many, I, I've seen business models change because people weren't measuring correctly. I'll give right. you an example. There's a, a, a very big audio app. We don't work with them, but I've heard the story. Very big audio app who found this um, 
really good source of US CPI traffic. And they started dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars a month into this low CPI US traffic. And they're like, oh man, this is a, you know, we, we got a great winner. They engage. Turns out that source was a VPN app where a bunch of Mexican users were using to get to the US for other content. So they ended up with like half a million dollars of users in Mexico. Well, these guys being, you know, entrepreneurs spun the business and now they focus largely on Mexico and monetizing Mexico. So they've, it ended up changing their entire business. But that, there's an old saying, which is incentives drive behavior. Right. If you aren't measuring the outcome of your buys, you're going to basically default to the, the lowest incentive possible, which is the lowest CPI. And there's a reason there's a low CPI in a lot of a lot of those cases. So the purpose of an MMP is to understand where your users are coming from, which campaign, which creative, which source, which everything, you know, is it Facebook, is it Apple search ads, is it is it Google at the very high level. And the MMPs do a great job showing you where those users are coming from. Now it's gotten a lot more complicated with scan on iOS, which we can talk about separately. But the, the MMPs are starting to morph from, okay, where do my users come from to, okay, now you're sending your subscription events, you're sending your ad revenue, you're sending your monetization events, even sometimes your key events to the MMP. And now the MMP is telling you, okay, the users you bought from Facebook in this campaign are worth X amount. And when they're worth X amount, now you can calculate, you can start setting benchmarks of, okay, by day seven, you know, I'm getting a 50% ROI on my buy start dumping money into that, or Google is not, Google's at 25%, I'm going to start scaling back. I had a great conversation with a customer of ours who was saying, a bad campaign means you have to go back and start pairing out the sources that aren't working, pairing out the, the places that aren't working. It doesn't mean you stop it, it just means you start pairing it back. A good campaign, you need to take action on as soon as possible because you need to start buying more to in- increase your scale. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, great way to think about it. We could, we could spend the next uh, hour talking just about MMPs. I, I find it so fascinating. And one quick kind of follow up before we kind of move on from this subject is how much has changed in the accuracy since Apple enacted the app tracking transparency. So now we no longer have the IDFA. The interesting thing that that still kind of baffles me is is. In the U.S., uh, limit ad tracking got up to something like 40% before ATT even was enacted. So the MMPs were already having to deal with a lot more uncertainty. There was not a, there was never a 100% deterministic uh, um, ad measurement, even pre-ATT. And that's something I think a lot of people kind of miss is like, there's this kind of assumption, oh, everybody had the IDFA, everything was tracked. No, a significant portion of traffic, especially in the U.S., where a lot of companies are much more heavily weighted on their monetization, actually didn't have any deterministic tracking. Um, So I imagine that actually made the shift less of a big deal in some ways than it, it, it appeared on the surface. But what have you seen change since ATT? Is it kind of directionally correct, but but still messy, or, or yeah, what what's the data quality from an MMP these days? Um, it's a dirty secret, I think, that um, <laughs> a lot of people don't want to talk about, which is it's a mess, and and yeah. 
not many people have a great understanding of what's going on. And there's a there's a webinar by Singular where they had Rovio come on and talk about their findings. And Rovio, the makers of Angry Birds, for the folks who, who don't know, huge, giant app, a veritable name in the industry. And they were talking. And one of the things that struck me is they said, well, one of our keys to success was our UA team works very closely with our data science team, who works very closely with our product team, who then works with our UA products team. And then we work with a BI team. And those guys all working together have really been able to make scan work. And I was thinking five teams, not five people, five teams have all come together to make this work. What is the chance that other organizations really have this understood? And and, and the the reality is not a lot. And I don't think a lot of people like talking about that because no one likes to appear like they don't really know what's going on. But the amount <laughs> of people that like don't really know what's going on is it's high. It's pretty high. Yeah. And you talk about what are people looking for, and they're looking for scan outputs, which is a kind of an aggregated output of the scan <clears throat> reporting data and then your regular campaign data. And those those aren't really aligning. So what people have started to do is just like, well, I'm going to go with at aggregate, just kind of the d- signal direction that I'm seeing and, and, and go for it. Right. And as a result, CPMs on Android are higher yeah. than uh, than iOS for the first time ever. Um, ROI on Android is usually higher because measurement's better. So it's 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 a mess, and I think that people shouldn't give themselves a hard time by not really really understanding it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that gets back to uh, the old saying: half my marketing is working. I just didn't know which half. <laughs> exactly, we're back to that. Yeah, back to that in some ways, but but like you said, you know, th- even though it's a mess, the point of an MMP is to at least get some directionally accurate information, so that you make better bets. It's still a bet; you're still right. guessing, but you're making right. slightly more informed guesses. Um, and right, the, the exactly more right. slightly informed guesses you can make, the better your ultimate trajectory. That's data in general. So you're you're getting better and better guesses, better and better direction to help growth. Right. And that, that was uh, actually going to be the next thing I wanted to ask you about is A-B testing. Uh, you know, similar mm. to everything we've been talking about, um, I see, you know, tons of folks, they've got 100 users coming into the app and they've got super sophisticated A-B testing and everything's an A-B test and they're mul- right. running multiple simultaneously. And they don't have five different teams like Rovio, actually, and don't have a data scientist on staff who really understands how to run an effective experiment. What's that kind of progression of sophistication for testing? When you're early and you have very few users and are unlikely to even get statistical significance, are you just fooling yourself to even bother with with A-B testing? And then when does that start to become more practical and actually more valuable as an educated guess? Yeah, that, that, there's a religion, an A-B testing religion <laughs> around this. We have an advisor who's a data scientist for a very large, um, one of those gaming conglomerates. And he very early on said to me, uh, if you're trying to measure the output of your A-B test, you've already failed. If it's not obvious, right. then your test has failed. And it's much, your, your, your output of an A-B test is more likely to have no output than it is a, a winner. So a loser in a lot of ways is better or having a losing A/B test is is better than having uh, than the normal of just having you know no statistical significance, and I think that is that is difficult. People are 
instinctively drawn towards, okay, I want this to be better. So therefore, if you know, 10 more people have opted in, then of course it's better. But statistical significance on that is like 1%. So it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um, the, the proper way to do an A-B test is to not look at it during the test, set the boundary before. So I need 10,000 people to have completed this event in order to make a decision. But then by 30 days, you have you know, 100 people that have done it. It's tough. It's tough to, to keep it going and not, you know, pull the rug out early and make a decision. What would be your kind of minimum standard? Like, wh- and, and that's what I was trying to get at with the question is that at what point in an app's life and, 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 and traffic is really probably the determining factor is that, you know, uh, how many people do you need coming into the, and, and this part of this has to be determined by the app developer themselves but you know, if you're running a an A/B test on a price and you're only getting a hundred conversions a month, you're you're fooling yourself to think that you're you're getting a real outcome that's going to meaningfully move your business um, right. with a hundred events. So I guess maybe what are what's that kind of minimum number you look for for it to be meaningful data that it is an educated guess and not just a guess. And then do you see kind of moving things up the funnel actually impact? Because of course, you know, if you, if you do have, you know, 50,000 people coming into the app and your onboarding is what you're A-B testing, then you're more likely to get enough data to actually make better decisions. But the deeper you get in the funnel, the harder it is to get enough traffic to make a good decision. So yeah, what are kind of your, your boundaries for what makes sense to start thinking about A-B testing? We're pretty pragmatic and we deal with, with customers of all sizes. So we have people that have 300 million you know, users a month um, and they, they can be a little bit more uh, realistic about statistical significance. I mean, statistical significance is an actual calculation. Um, so I would say that there, there isn't a set number. I think it's up to the app developer to, to determine what's realistic, but I think they should do so before the test is started. So if it's far down the funnel and you know that I've got a thousand people coming in a day and I want to get a thousand conversions like to make a decision, you got to be realistic about that. So you need, you might be able to make the decision off of, you'll need to make the decision off of imperfect or incomplete data. And the farther you move up, the better it will be. So it kind of leads into uh, a, a crutch that we highly recommend, which is if you can figure out inference between later funnel events and early funnel events, you can focus on where users are spending a lot more time and, and more users are hitting and make changes that actually matter. For instance, you're talking about conversions and you you know people coming in. Maybe the trial, if you have 10x the people doing the trial, maybe focus on getting people to start the trial rather than actually make the subscription. And that way you might be able to get to an answer faster. Right. So to answer your question, it's going to be up to the app developer because, you know, who am I to say what, what, how to run your business? They may <laughs> need to make decisions with incomplete data, but maybe move earlier into the funnel to get more signal to actually like make better decisions. And that actually will help you with marketing in general, because the faster you get signals, the faster you can turn around and make campaigns, and also the faster you can send that signal back to the actual buyers, the Facebooks and the Googles, to help optimize those campaigns. Yeah. And then the tough thing, too, about, okay, I set my minimum threshold of a 1,000 users need to complete this event before I'll get meaningful data. You know, Ideally, it's probably more. 
but then it takes you 60 days to get there. In the meantime, you've released four different updates. Right. You're right. buying different right. traffic. Uh, Apple featured you. You know, the, right. the traffic mix is different. Like there's so many variables that by the time you extend, the, the, the further you extend that window, probably the less uh, uh, meaning there is in, in the data that you're measuring there. Would, would that be right. a good way to think about it as well? Yeah, that and and if you if you're struggling to get a signal from the test, then maybe it's not a very good test. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great way to think about it. So, man, we could talk for another 2 hours. Um <laughs> I wanted to hit on on CRM. Do you deal with much CRM? Feel free to punt, we can move on to another question if it's not something you think about a lot. We we do we do in the sense that, you know, folks are trying to get a, a, a kind of re-engage or engage their um, valuable users. One thing that, that is really exciting that we recently released, which I, I think is should everyone should have, is the ability to segment users by overall value. So it's probably easier with subscription apps, but you know, right. ad ad whales is, is a lot more difficult difficult. But comparing kind of the actions of the, the very valuable users against kind of the generic users and where those users are coming from can help with better buying and and better product changes. Yeah. The rabbit hole I was hoping to go down was the retention and re-engagement um, kind of strategies. Um, so for your subscription apps, uh, customers specifically, what are kind of the first steps you talk through with them on, okay, we've collected an email into Braze. Now, what does that mean? And, and so many developers, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, they're, they're, CRM campaign is really stale. They're 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 just triggering some really basic events, and and it's not really, you know, well tailored to to individual users and things like that. So, what's the low hanging fruit in a re engagement campaign that that you want to make sure your clients are at least kind of hitting the the minimum basis on that? I I mean, y- you sound like you're a little bit more optimistic than I am on re engagement. <laughs> I think that, that the amount of apps out there that are actually getting email addresses is probably lower than than we would hope. I think getting contact information, getting the ability to re-engage with these people is probably the the most paramount thing. Right. And then from what I've 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 heard and what I've seen successful is is you don't give up on those people. It's kind of like a drip campaign from an email if you're trying to sell a, a SaaS product for instance, you don't give up on them. You, you you keep them engaged and they're seeing you and so like I think Headspace has a, a maybe it's calm as a case study about this is like engaging people over time, they'll finally convert back to you. So I think just getting their email address and then getting back in front of them, you're miles ahead of, of most people, Yeah, especially post ATT. That's the only way to re-engage people. Right. Yeah. And where, where would you kind of put that on the prioritization stack? Again, you know, getting a CRM mm. set up, writing these drip emails, um, you know, getting the triggers connected so that it's troubleshooting when the triggers go off the rails. Yeah. It's a big, big engineering and product and marketing task to get all of this aligned. So where would you kind of put it in your kind of priority stack of, okay, I'm measuring my marketing. I'm, you know, got some good product analytics set up. Where do you prioritize that? That's a, a great question. And I think that when you're, we kind of opened up with the, the spreadsheet, right? So you're yeah. looking at ROAS in a spreadsheet. I think that's where you you really would get value out of like putting things in a spreadsheet. It's like, what's a realistic um, response rate on a CRM campaign? 
Is it 10%? Is it 15%? How many subscribers do you have? How many email addresses do you have? What's the ROI on my effort for actually getting the 15% coming back? Okay, well, that's going to generate me you know, X thousand dollars. That's worth the effort. Okay, or is it worth me starting to invest in buying users and then my ROI on the users and, and being able to kind of make the decision on where am I spending my time as it's more effective to ROI in terms of the app, I think is probably a better use of, of, of the spreadsheet on kind of prioritizing your tasks. That being said, it's very easy to, to fall into what you want to do. And I've seen a lot of that. <laughs> as well, I really want to change the onboarding workflow because I think that there's a lot of aspects of that. So yeah, divorcing yourself from like what you want to work on towards what makes the most sense for the business, I think is probably the most difficult part of that. Yeah. And you know, this is, that's a, that was a really great way to frame the answer. (laughs) Fantastic answer. And and it's not what I expected you to say, but it kind of reminds me, and we were just talking about this yesterday on a webinar, is that a lot of folks get really excited about um, referral programs. And so it's, oh, well, if, if I can just get, you know, incentivize my users to share it with all their friends, this is going to solve my user acquisition problem. I'm going to get this viral loop going. My customers are going to buy all their friends. All their friends are going to come on board. And like this uh, in, incentivized referral program is like the answer to my user acquisition problems. And, and people get really excited about it. And then I start talking through the math with them. Okay, how many monthly active users do you have? I've got 10,000 users. Okay, where are you going to put the the call to action to invite your friends? Oh, we're going to put it in settings. How many people go to settings every month? You know, a few thousand. Okay, what's your response rate to a call to action buried in settings? Very low. Right. What's going to be the response rate to those who actually do share it? Pretty low. And so once you start doing the math, and so I hadn't thought about it in quite that way from from like a a re-engagement perspective, is that you need to start doing that same math. Okay, if I've only got a thousand people currently subscribed to the app and um, another thousand that had started a free trial and turned out, you know, what's the realistic response rate to those thousands who have already turned out of the app? Um, it's pretty low. (laughs) And then if my subscription price is only 30 bucks a year or whatever it is, and my response rate is, like you said, 10% is probably very generous. Response rates really probably are low single digits. Um, We did an analysis we haven't uh, published yet, but we were looking at, you know, users who start a free trial, what's the long-term of them actually coming back and ever becoming a subscriber and across our entire user base, it was somewhere in the ballpark of 5% ever coming back. Wow. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you think about all the effort that's put into it. Now, some, and this is what you've said the whole time, right? Is that it's going to depend. So some apps are going to be way better at re-engagement for specific product reasons, for specific, specific business reasons. But across our entire uh, uh, user base at RevenueCat, it's shockingly low. And so when you're thinking about, you know, spending a month and that, okay, I've got, I've got a thousand people who started a free trial. And if I can, you know, tap into that and then you start, then you put it in a spreadsheet and you like do a realistic analysis and you're probably way better off focusing on the top of the funnel. Like how do I bring them in? How do I engage those new users versus trying to pick up those users who turned out 
that goes back to kind of do you focus on product? Do you focus on marketing? Like if you look at the biggest apps in the world today, they're not product machines, they're marketing machines. Right. And they're all about how do I get ROI off of buying these users? And so if you were to sit down and look at that spreadsheet through the funnel, if I change a retention, if I rebuild my subscription offer wall and I increase subscriptions 15%, that'd be a huge win for most people. Right. But what if I get 100% more people in the app? Yeah. I spend that month building out the marketing, get 100% more people in the app, yeah. then my percentage will likely be a lot higher than 15%. Right. So it's, yes, it's, it's where you can control, where you can, where you can control and what you can measure. Yeah. And then when you're calm and have, you know, hundreds of millions of email addresses from people who've registered and they do a good job of requiring registration and everything else, you know, as you get bigger, that ROI starts to look a lot sweeter. And, and that's where, again, I think a lot of, a lot of early and mid-stage apps get confused by looking at the biggest apps in the app store and thinking, oh, you know, Calm has a whole team on re-engagement. Right. We need to have a whole team on user engagement. Whereas really they probably should have put those resources back into, like you said, top of funnel, even on the product side and 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 in other places in the business. And that's that's something I think every subscription app developer should be constantly reassessing as they go. It's like, where are we really spending our time? And this is where, I mean, uh, we can pitch for a second here. I mean, you know, we both work in a space where a lot of people think, oh, it's easy. I'll do subscription infrastructure myself. And I've had these conversations over and over again. It's like, you should be spending your time elsewhere. Like, you, you know, Revenue Cat's really not even that expensive. And right. even, even if you can build it out and it's, you know, quote, you know, not that hard to do and everything else, what are, what's the what are you leaving on the table by spending all of these engineering cycles on just getting the infrastructure in place? And so similar, like at Libertas, you know, you've built out this data platform so that you know if you're an early stage app and you need to look in a more sophisticated way at your data, you can hire a data scientist, spin up a whole team you know, get your data into Looker and, and, and that's a huge project, you know? And then the other thing I want to bring up too, relatedly is that, okay, do that. You've got one data scientist, you've got one set of data that you're working with. You're running these SQL queries, you know, in the history of revenue cat, we found all sorts of bugs in our dashboards and other places but we find that because we're we're pushing you know 1.5 billion dollars of revenue through our system every year we find those edge cases we see those issues that an right. individual data scientist working on a single app is not going to see when you're doing ltv right. calculations predictions right. those are so fundamental to your business and yep. yes they're quote not that hard <laughs> But a very small minor mistake can shift tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's where buying tools that do this day in, day out, that have teams who know what they're doing, who are working across multiple apps, can is often a lot cheaper than people think it is. And I'd say that the, the, the biggest downside with the DIY originally is you start to, to lean on just estimations. And then right. you end up back at kind of where we started this whole podcast, which is you're guessing on behavior. You're guessing on, okay, well, if they clicked subscribe, they're likely a subscriber for life or at least 50%. You start guessing 
And then you start guessing and you start guessing all of a sudden you're building your business off of just gut checks without any kind of confirmation and not having kind of a complete view of either the data or a complete view of, of user behavior with the subscription because you haven't the ability to actually build that out completely ends up making you back kind of back where you started. You might as well just continue working in a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, um, Adam, where can people find you and add Libertas? Any, any kind of closing thoughts, uh, uh feel free to p- pitch our, uh, uh uh, listeners here, I mean, you do work with subscription apps, and uh, I've been impressed with the work that you and your team are doing. I appreciate it. Um, I, I love these conversations with with customers. Some of my favorite conversations actually come from you know engaging with our mutual customers and just saying, "How would you solve this problem?" I get to armchair quarterback. So I highly encourage people to look at us up on adlibertas.com. Um, basically, all email addresses go to me. So <laughs> love to jump on a conversation. Just high level advice look at your spreadsheet, talk about the future. I'd love, love to be part of it. Awesome. Are you on Twitter? Oh, I am at Libertas, but like, I don't follow it. LinkedIn is a better way to, to get me. <laughs> it's funny. Cause, uh, there's a lot of really smart people doing a lot of great work, not on Twitter. Uh, I, I over index on, on seeing what's going on on Twitter. Um, and I'm actually always kind of impressed when I talk to somebody who's not on Twitter because it's like, oh yeah, there's like really <laughs> smart people doing really great work. And I, and, and they're not in my little bubble world that I've created for myself on Twitter. So, uh, so in some ways, yeah, g- good job, uh, not, uh, wasting time on, on that platform. <laughs> We've got enough to do. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so, um, actually part of the reason I'm, I had Adam on the podcast is that, uh, I have a queue of like 10 of his blog posts that I want to read. And so this was my chance to kind of get you to summarize some of the blog posts. <laughs> so that that's another Good, thing like that. uh, you like should that. do is uh, go read Adam's blog. Uh, there's one, um, what is a data scientist? We'll, we'll put some links in the show notes. Like what does a sci- data scientist do at a mobile app? Uh, I, I, I got the first paragraph and scanned part of that one. It looked like a, a really great way to think about data um, in mobile apps. Uh, and there's so many other great blog posts that you've written. So that's a, another great starting place. If you want to understand, uh, Adam's thinking on things and, um, kind of an introduction to Ad Libertas. So again, thank you so much, Adam, for, for being on the podcast and, uh, fascinating chat. Uh, we really got into the, into the nitty gritty in, in ways that I don't often get to. Uh, so, so thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a minute, please leave a review in your favorite podcast player. You can also stop by chat.subclub.com to join our private community.